Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. We're coming at you with something a little different today from community leaders to system leaders, advocates, educators, students, musicians, professionals, reality TV stars, poets, and members of the Black community. We have something to share. These are all people you can expect to hear from on our new TuneIn YRDSB production, Shine. I'm Mahuli Chai. And I'm Darcy Sutherland, and we want you to join us as we explore what makes our Black community shine. My name is Cecil Roach, Associate Director, Equitable Outcome and Schools with the York Region District School Board. My name is Darcy Sutherland, and I'm the Principal of the Dismantling Anti-Black Racism Strategy Implementation Plan in the York Region District School Board. It's so good to speak to both of you. It's great to be here this morning. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Thanks so much for joining me. Let me ask you this. We want to start with this question. Why do you believe there's a need for dismantling anti-Black racism strategy? Why is there a need and why now? Darcy. When we think about um, the years of historical um, oppression and marginalization that has been faced by many communities, but specifically by the Black community, uh, and when we think of specific systemic institutions that um, have perpetuated um, racism. We know that it exists within the system. We know, unfortunately, that our systems are based on uh, white supremacist ideals. So because of that, we know that anti-Black racism does exist and racism exists. And so we know that we need to make sure that we ensure that our students um, are not recipients or are not experiencing um, anti-Black racism. And so when we think about why a strategy exists, why it needs to exist, why we need to dismantle it's for those reasons. And when I think about the community who fought, um, who challenged and who questioned and wanted to ensure that the students in New York Region District School Board um, would not be facing um, anti-Black racism on a consistent basis. I know that that was their desire as the strategy uh, was put together. And uh, in my role, um, I will continue to uh, work alongside the system community um, to ensure that we dismantle, disrupt, interrupt anti-Black racism. Uh, and when we think about the trajectory of our Black students and what our system needs to do to support them, uh, there's much work to be done. And why now? Why not now? Uh, we, we know all the things that are happening in our system, in our worlds. We know different uh, students. I hear stories daily um, of kids that are experiencing things within our system. So we need to act now because we need to be responsive to now. We need to be cognizant um, of disproportionalities of Black students and in terms of overrepresentation within special education, uh, in terms of not graduating, in terms of uh, different trajectories that are different than other students within our system. And so we need to be responsive to that. We need to dismantle and interrupt so that we can see um, are Black students achieving who they are in a space that affirms and creates space for them and the world to see uh, who they are? Cecil, you've lent your life to this work. What keeps you energized doing this job? I think what keeps me energized is knowing that education offers such an answer to the challenges of our Black community. Knowing that education is such a ramp for what I would call full and complete inclusion of Black students, Black community 
into this incredible country that we have. And, and look, we're in a business where our core business is student achievement and well-being. And we know, I mean, look, I look at um, the, the black community in the 1840s, in, whether in Hamilton, in Southwest Ontario, writing to Agaton Ryerson, begging for their children, for their black children to have opportunities in school, begging for their black children to be treated equally in schools. And here we are in 2022, still knowing that black students are among the students who benefit the, benefit the least from our core business of student achievement and well-being. And we know this, the data has, has shown this. So, so, I mean, and because we, again, because I believe that education is such an important grant, it's such a place where the dreams of families, of communities can be realized. It requires us to do something about this chronic and persistent underachievement and, and under, you know, under service for black students. And, and so the, the dismantling anti-black racism strategy is one way of doing this. And, you know, also, I think many of us in education have expunged any notion that this chronic underachievement is based on any deficits within black students. Within mm -hmm. the black mm -hmm. Clearly, there's something wrong with us as a system of education yes. that we need to change. That, and we know anti-black racism is one of those things that's an impediment to black students living you know, full identity affirming successful lives in, in, in school. And I believe that we can do it as a system. So I, I would say that keeps me enthusiastic, that keeps my spirits up, knowing that we can do this as long as we commit ourselves to supporting an identifiable group of students who we know are not benefiting from our core business of student achievement. What keeps you wanting to do the work to both of you? Uh, we'll start with you, Darcy. What keeps me wanting to do the work? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, I really try to be optimistic in my beliefs. And I think um, the hope that one day um, things will change. Um, but I also know that it, it, there's work to be done. Uh, and so in order for that change to happen, um, we need people who are willing to do the work. And I think what keeps me going is the fact that um, I'm standing on the shoulders of so many who have gone before me, who have encouraged me, who have supported me, um, who have cried with me as we have journeyed together. And I think the hope that I have and that I continue to see is in the students in our schools, um, the kids who I meet. And uh, I think what keeps me going is that one day, I hope that my example will, will inspire one youth to continue to do my job <laughs> so that we know that um, there will be generations um, of black leaders within our system that our kids see and that our kids can be and that our kids aspire to be because of the examples um, and the support that they've been given. So, um, yeah, I think that's what inspires me to continue. For me, what inspires me is knowing what education has meant for me and for my family. And knowing that I'm not some sort of an intellectual anomaly that we're, you know, who is like the one student who can benefit from education. No, I'm just an ordinary black man who, for whom education has meant all the difference in the world. And the same thing for my family. So it keeps me going knowing that if it can happen to me, it can happen to black students generally. You know, you know, knowing as long as we support them, as long as we believe in them, as long as they believe in themselves and believe that the system of education can be good for them. That, that's, what, that's what keeps me going. And, and also, I, I truly believe that, you know, there's, there's no, no one goes home, there's no cabal, of, of educators who go home and thinking, let's see now, how can I 
go to school the next day and, and have a negative impact on black students. No, I, I think as long as we bring, bring people to the understanding as to their role and knowing that it is our legal and moral responsibility to support black students, to ensure that the educational trajectory are, is a good trajectory and, and to ensuring that you know, they can benefit in the way I benefited from a, a, a good education. Uh, and look, you know, graduation from, from, from high school, obviously, is not a panacea, but it certainly is an important key to our kids being successful and, and you know, to our kids benefiting fully from, from the, 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 the world of opportunities that's open to them. So, I mean, you know, I, I look at myself and, and I look at my family and, and I look at what my mother said to me when I landed. You know, you know Cecil, you're here for the education. And, and knowing that it has really made the difference for me, it should be able to make a difference for that black boy coming into junior kindergarten and, and knowing, and we should see him or, or her uh, as having the world in front of them, the possibilities of the world in front of them, and believing in them and believing that they can achieve the same way that I achieved mm -hmm. uh, you know, because of, of education. Recently, Darcy, you launched the Center for Black Student Excellence. There's been some controversy around as to whether or not the work still remains the same. Is it still the dismantling anti-Black racism? And can you tell us a little bit about the center and why it was launched? Yeah, so I'm so excited to actually share that uh, the Center for Black Student Excellence was launched. Um, and that was launched with a team that I get to work with uh, every day. The strategist who's on this call, the graduation coaches for Black students, the community partnership developer, as well as the equity teacher facilitator, and all of us working together, as well as other parts and members of the system, to ensure that there's a space that gives information about how Black families and Black students can excel within our system. Uh, it's new and developing. So it's a hub, it's a hub that's actually on a portal page and it's not an actual space or location, not yet at least. But I know when we think about why do we need a center for black excellence and what does that mean? And I know some people are thinking, so have we moved away from dismantling? And no, the work will always be to dismantle. We know that anti-black racism exists. We know that the, the fight that we need to ensure that we continue to dismantle that. And as we dismantle that, we need to build our students and, and create a space where they can see themselves affirmed, where they can see their identity affirmed. And that's what we hope the Center for Black Student Excellence can do that, that it provides opportunities for Black students to see themselves in spaces that affirms them, provides opportunities for themselves and their families, as well as a system to know how to support um, our Black families. Um, and so that's what the Center is. So uh, when you have a chance, uh, visit the page. Um, and we look forward to continuing to develop that, continuing to make sure that it gets to our Black families. I know that that's a concern and we're working at that to ensure that all families within our system understand uh, that this space is one that has been created to support Black students. We all know, both of you, that this work can be very tiring. How do you find balance for yourself in uh, what can sometimes feel like a volatile environment where people are always questioning or always coming at you where race, ethnicity, and culture are concerned? Well, for me, I, I, find, I find balance in, in reading. Um, you know, I find balance in, like, I love poetry. I, I find, find balance in dabbling in poetry. I, I, I often like to say I, I, I live by the, the verse, when I pluck my soul from its secret place, 
and hold it to the mirror of my eye, what reflects back to me. And what reflects back to me has to be a good person. And, and to, be, to me, being a good person means that I need to care about all my students. I need to, to care that all my students have the possibility of realizing the dreams of their parents when they come to our school, when the kids come into, into, into kindergarten. And it shouldn't simply because if they have a black teacher. Yes, we know that the, the research shows that a kid who has one black teacher by, by, the, by grade three, the, the chances of graduation increases by 30%. But we know that that, the, that that capability exists in all our teachers. And we, we, we have to believe that and we have to work with all our teachers to know that that, kind, that junior kindergarten black boy who comes in should see in that teacher someone who believes in them. The fact that they're black simply means that they're another kid who I need to ensure that the education trajectory is a good one, right? You know, who will know, this is why I also like the notion of the Center for Black Excellence, because it's more than a physical space, which is not as yet, but it's an idea, the idea that black kids need to know that excellence is in their DNA, right? Excellence is in their DNA. We know the stories about the overrepresentation in special education, the, the underrepresentation in, in graduation rate, the overrepresentation in suspension and expulsion data, the, the underachievement in terms of, of, of you know, the, the, the measurement instruments such as report cards and provincial, uh, other provincial measurement incidents. But those kids need to know that excellence is in their DNA. And I'm not just talking about the one-off, you know, the, the, the one-off examples of, of blacks who've done incredible things. Knowing that every single kid who comes in, right, once, they, once they're given the proper support, has excellence as part of their DNA. So, you know, that, that, that's, that's why I like the idea of black excellence, of focusing on black excellence. You know, it's, a, it's, an, it's an asset um, approach, I think, not a, not a deficit-minded approach. The notion that black boys, black girls coming in, yes, they'll be facing racism because we know systemic anti-black racism exists. However, they need to believe themselves that excellence is possible. Excellence is part of the DNA, as I said before. I think for me, what gives me balance, um, you know, as you as you mentioned, Mahuli, the, the work uh, can be intense, the work can be draining, uh, the work can be exciting, and the work can also sometimes be very disheartening and sad. For me, balance, I find in my faith, I got to pray a lot for a lot of people that I have to work with, and, um, and just to make it through, because sometimes it is disheartening when you hear stories, when you hear uh, what students are experiencing, what families are experiencing. And I think for me, the other piece is having a really strong support system. I have different types of support for different times that I need, when I need um, that, that space to be able to share, when I need that space for wisdom, when I need that space for just to be able to talk and relax. I have a great um, family, friends, and a great network that really supports me. And I think that's important. And the last thing I've had to learn, I think, in the last couple of years, and I know Sessa and I talk about this a lot, is rest and learning what it means to rest, like learning what rest for Darcy means and how does she recharge? So that way she's able to get up and do the work. She's able to um, support the community and the kids and, and the families in the way that they need. So making sure that I, I do those things to help recharge me, um, whether that be reading or traveling or um, whatever things that give me um, a lot of different joy, um, I really try to make the time to do that because um, and Tessa will always say this, and I'm sure I'll quote him, he'll say, you can't give out of an empty vessel. And uh, whether that was shared with him from someone else, we know, we know that to be true. But you yourself, if you cannot um, be filled up or if you um, don't give yourself the self-care that you need in this space, um, you will become burnt out. And so for me, I have made that decision to make sure that I do those things. 
so that I don't um, become burnt out. Uh, it's, it's an interesting um, dichotomy because um, sometimes I love the work and sometimes the work is so challenging. And so ensuring that I find that space uh, is really important. And I think the last thing is when the sun is out, <laughs> when the sun is out, that really makes um, some of these hard days so much brighter. I think self-care, you know, and, and I forgot who said this, self-care is not selfish, right? You know, self-care is actually preparing you to do the work that's important. And, and it's critically, you know, I mean, I think it was Dr. Bettina Love who talked about, we need to think about our self-care almost on a daily basis if we're going to be engaged in doing the work. A work that sometimes can hit us in the face with those examples that, that, are, that are disturbing, those examples that can set you back, right? As I talked about some of those examples, you know, the parade of, of black kids who are coming through student discipline process, you know, the parade of black kids who are not graduating from, from high school uh, at the rate that we want them to, to graduate, the parade of black kids who are being denied access to gifted programs, for example, to other specialty programs. That can hit you in the face real hard. So it's important that we think about how do we absorb that and continue to do the work. And, and by, we absorb that by doing self-care because self-care is not selfish. What do you think are the systematic changes that need to be disrupted where anti-Black racism is concerned for community, women, and for youth? What are the changes? What are the changes that need to disrupt? Well, one of the things that, that, that I know we, we're working on is, you know, when, when kids are, you know, are transitioning, whether it's from, from primary grades to junior grades, from junior grades to intermediate grades, from intermediate, in, intermediate grades into high school, we need to, to, to explicitly and deliberately say, where are our black kids? How are they doing? You know, are, are they just falling be, between the cracks into that whole stereotype that black kids are, you know, are not performing the way they should be performing? Where they, what, what, what do we need to do to support them? You know, and, and so those are some systemic things. You know, when, when we make the transition between grade eight and, and, and secondary school, you know, who are the kids who are being recommended for the applied, the, the applied stream? And I realize we are de-streaming, um, you know, slowly, uh, you know, and, and, and if, when we're de-streaming, what kind of support, the, you know, do, do we need to, to give black students explicitly? And of course, we know indigenous students as well are, are also, uh, you know, you know in, in the same boat. What kind of support do we need to explicitly and deliberately develop? What kind of implement, what, what kind of program do we need to implement to support these, these kids to ensure that that success is possible for them. And can we do that without other folks are saying, well, why are we focusing on black kids? Well, why are we focusing on black kids? Because that's our business, our core business is achievement and well-being. And when we know that an identifiable group of kids are not benefiting from that core business, we have, as I said before, a moral and legal obligation to do something about it. And that means explicit and deliberate intervention to support these kids. Okay, that, that's that, that that's that those are you know some of the systemic things uh, you know of course we talk about hiring and, and ensuring that that we have black staff that are that are there to to be not just role models for kids but also so the kids can see some of the possibilities of, of their lives so i think to just um add on to some of what cecil has already said i think when we think about uh systemic changes in our curriculum and i know that um you know, the ministry has been uh, working to provide different types of programming or our roles, our resources, such as uh, the graduation coaches for black students. Um, it would be great to have coaches in every school. Um, but when we think about our curriculum, when we think about um, is, our uh, is our curriculum responsive? 
culturally diverse responsive um, is that pedagogy um, embedded within curriculums and how do we see that shifting all parts of our curriculums not just in our language or literacy uh, curriculums but also when we think about our science when we think about math when we think about technology um, and, and ensuring that students not only see themselves reflected but that in our curriculum uh, diverse perspectives of African uh, Canadians Caribbeans um, Afro-Latinos from the diaspora, how that is shared within curriculum, how is that shared within our resources, and then how that transfers down to the schools. When I think about accountability for system leaders and for schools, to think about how we interrupt and dismantle um, systemic, oppression, uh, systemic oppression within schooling. Uh, how do we uh, challenge some of the practices that we have within schools, um, whether that's through policies, whether that's through practices, whether that's through mindsets and shifts that have been ingrained within practices that need to change. Where's the accountability that we hold the system accountable for that to ensure that that happens? Um, I also think, uh, as Cecil was thinking about, um, or speaking about rather, uh, systemic um, changes when it comes to students, thinking about opportunities that students are afforded. How do we interrupt um, streaming within specific programs or overrepresentation within specific programs or the exclusion from other programs? And how do we ensure that we dismantle that? Um, how do we um, create a space that allows for voice of community um, and families to work in partnership with schools? Um, and I know it's not just about the um, involvement, but the engagement and having those dialogues together as community, as partners to thinking about how we need to um, interrupt uh, practices, systemic practices. I think he also mentioned hiring, and we know the importance of hiring in all roles within the system, and students being able to see themselves reflected in all roles within schools, uh, from the entry into their schooling experience um, until they graduate. When we talk about hiring, that we're not hiring, let's say, Black teachers or other racialized teachers, just to fall within that, that negative pedagogy that could be existing in school, right? We, we, you know the whole saying, culture eats pedagogy for breakfast. Uh, so that we, need, we need to have those cultures built in schools where black teachers, other racialized teachers feel that they can come and bring that, that new approach to looking at students. I mean, another part of the systemic change that needs to happen is that we need to prepare our teachers to deal with resistance that's gonna that's gonna come up, resistance to something like the dismantling anti-black racism strategy. Part of that resistance we're seeing, for example, is a, a, a deliberate attempt to conflate anti-racist work, equity work with critical race theory, which you know is no such there's no critical race theory curriculum in, in our schools. Uh, but really, the folks who are who are, are trying to do that that equating of anti-racism, anti-oppression work with critical race theory are those who want to silence any discussion about race and its impact on, on, on the achievement of black students. Those who want to say black students are exactly where they're supposed to be in our system. So let's not talk about it. Let, let's, let's just go on and, and continue as we've always continued. That's the, so we have to prepare our folks without those kind of pushbacks. You have to be prepared for those who will say, well, you're focusing on, on, on anti-black racism. What about the other groups? You know, what, what about them? Well, we, the, the, we have to prepare to folks to say, but how are those students doing? In terms of our core business, uh, and if 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 they have issues around, as I said, overrepresentation in special education, overrepresentation in in, in um, student discipline issues, underrepresentation among you know in, in, in terms of the graduation rates, underrepresentation in specialized programs, then obviously we, we need to develop programs to support them as well. However, we know that the case for Black students, for Indigenous students, is uh, is a case that's crying 
for deliberate and specific support. And this is why, this is part of the systemic change we need to make is to prepare our folks to deal with those pushbacks that, that, that I know exist around the, this money and the black strategy. What do you say to people who say that black students are getting special treatment? Well, I would say black students are getting special treatment because black students are not receiving the kind of, of, of service that all students should be getting. And how do we know? The data is telling us that. Uh, and, and, you know, we have, we, you know, I, I can't say it enough. We are obligated to support students who we know are not benefiting. We, like, we have to think about what are we all about as an education system? We're about student achievement and well-being. We're about student achievement and well-being. And we know Black students, Indigenous students are not, you know, I, I know I sound like I'm repeating myself, but, but it's critically important that folks understand when we know these particular identified groups of students are not achieve, not benefiting from what we're supposed to be doing, we have, we have, we have an obligation, we, you know, both legal and moral, you know, to do something about it. And that's why, we, that's why you know, how, you know it's, it's not special treatment, actually. It's actually a treatment that is going to support them to do, to do what we're supposed to be doing. And that, that is ensuring that their educational trajectory is the same as any other student who come into our system. Why did you both say yes to this conversation? Well, I said yes, because why not? It's important that we do share what's been happening in our system. Uh, I'm privileged to be in this role. I want to, to let those who are, uh, whether in the system or outside of the system, um, have an understanding of what dismantling anti-Black racism is and what it looks like in our roles. Um, I think it's important um, when I think about me serving in this role is really to support our students. And so our students need to know that there are people within the system who are fighting for them, uh, who are supporting the need for them to be affirmed, seen, heard, and valued, and their worth be defined in our system. And, uh, and as long as I'm in, I am in this role, that, that's what I will do. So any space or chance that I have to speak, uh, I will take that to the platform, to the mic, uh, so that Black students know um, their value and our worth within our, our system. And I will continue to do, to do the work to affirm and support that. So I say yes to, to this because I want teachers in the York Region District School Board, any teacher who's hearing this, know that you know they are capable of actually supporting Black students. I mean, I, I think it was Cornel West who said that um, justice is what loves look like in public. Right, you know, and I'm sorry, and it's really important that, that that teachers know they can show black students that they love and they care for them and they believe in them and, and that they think that they're capable of, of achieving anything that they want, anything that any other student can, can achieve. Of course, once giving them, once given the correct support. Um, so, you know, you know, look, racism is real, uh, but remember, racism is not individual, racism is, is systemic. And, and race and, and racism, you know, even though we say it's a social construct, a lot of folks have learned to, to, to assign certain traits to black people that we know are, have been unexamined and, and, and need to be examined and need to be thought about. So I, 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 any chance I get to, to send the message to, to, to educators that, look, you are in a position to make a difference, right? And you, you, you can begin making a difference by learning about racism, learning about yourself learning about how systemic racism has contributed to where black students are, to where indigenous students are in our system, and trying to figure out what can you do to disrupt that? What can you do as an individual to disrupt that? Don't question 
oh, well, why are we only focusing on black students? How about, and you can fill in the blank. Well, you know, as I said before, we know that black students are not being supported, are being underserved, and not benefiting from what, we support, what we're supposed to be doing as a system. So that's why I, I will always want to send this message. Also, I'd like teachers to know it is not career limiting to do this work. It is not career limiting to do this work. In fact, you, the system will benefit. And, and I think, you know, because, because I believe the truth is absolute, folks will see that you're doing good work. You're doing good work to support the system. Uh, and, you know, it's actually going to be career beneficial to your career to get involved in, in supporting students who are marginalized, students who are not benefiting from that core business that we're supposed to be doing. So that's why I, I say yes. So send that message to educators that, look, look, I believe in you. I think you're capable of, of doing this work. You're capable of, of changing the trajectory for black students to ensure that they understand the kind of trajectory that we know is going to be beneficial to all of us as a system and as a society. What do you want people to get from this conversation? I want people to, to, to understand that they have a role to play, okay? You know, parents who listen to this, they have a role to play. Parents need to also send their, you know, send their kids to school believing in themselves, right? You know, teachers have a critical role to play, knowing that parents have sent us the best thing that they have, right? The most precious thing that they own are their children. They're not keeping the better ones at home under the bed. They're sending us the best that they have. And it's up to us as educators to ensure that we do good for them. We do well by them. You know, that, 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 you know they, believe, they know that you believe in them. They know that you think they're capable. They know that you think excellence is in their DNA. They know that you think that they're going to be fine. They know that you think they can be kids and make mistakes and they aren't judged because of the fact that they're black, right? They, we judge on the fact that they're just kids. You know, they, they're going to do silly things. To know that teenagers, black teenagers, do silly things because they're teenagers, like all teenagers. Not because they're black teenagers, because they're teenagers, they do silly things. And that, that's not going to be held against them, you know, in terms of their educational trajectory, right? To know that, you know, look, they can be on the honor roll. They're capable of being on the honor roll. They're, they're, they're capable of, of being among you know, graduating at the rate of 87%, which is the provincial graduation average. And that should be the graduation rate for all kids, for all students. And if you know black students aren't there, look, look. In, in 1970, in, in the TDSB, black students were graduating, 60% of black students were graduating from, from secondary school. In, 19, um, in 2017, 50 years later, that number had barely eked up to 67%. 67% is unacceptable when 87% of every other student is graduating from secondary school. So we know that we have work to do when, we, when, these, when we're faced with these kinds of numbers. Know that it's important that we commit to doing the work as educators that look, you know, I'm a teacher at heart, right? You know, even though I'm in the role that I am, I'm a teacher at heart, and I know the role that teachers play. All the research shows that teachers are the number, have the number one influence in terms of student achievement and well-being. So as, as educators, as teachers, you know, look, my message to you is you can do it but you have to be committed to doing it. I would say that uh, the, the lasting message I'd like to leave um, on this call is that dismantling anti-Black racism is real. It's not an ideology, it's real. It exists within our system. There are families, students, staff listening to this call who have experienced anti-Black racism within our system and within our world, within your own lived experiences, and I think as educators, our core business is student achievement and well-being. And that student achievement and well-being 
is also for our Black students. So if we know that anti-Black racism is occurring and existing, it should be our commitment as part of our core business that we are working to dismantle that. We know that it exists for many marginalized communities. We know what the data says about our Indigenous, about our Latina communities as well, and other marginalized communities. So we need to be committed, as Cecil has just forementioned, um, to not just hearing about it um, and thinking about it um, within our context, but action. What is our action? What is going to propel us into being responsive? What does that mean you need to interrupt within your own personal biases, within your own experiences? What needs to be dismantled uh, within your own mind, within your class, within how you observe when you walk around other people who don't look like you inside your class, inside your school? What needs to change? And then what is your commitment? If you're an educator on this call, what is your commitment to the students in your school? Uh, what is your commitment to dismantling? And what does that look like? And, I, and the challenge or the charge I'll leave you with is, what will you do after you've heard this call? What will you do after you've listened to this podcast? What will be your choice and what will be your action in terms of your commitment to dismantling? What do you both want your legacy to be? Well, that's a, that's a good <laughs> question. Uh, for me, uh, you know, I, I, I'm actually closer to the end of my career than I'm, I am to the beginning, obviously. And I would like to think that my legacy is that, um, you know, folks know that, that the work I've done has always been about students. It's always been about committed to students and also committed to staff. I mean, I know, know that I've supported a mentored staff around, you know, assuming leadership roles and also changing their thinking to make sure that they know supporting marginalized students is a good thing. You know, it's not something you need to hide and, 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 and do. It needs to be part of, of your daily work, right? You know, and that's, you know, I think, you know, those who know me that, you know, as I said before, when I hold the soul, my soul to the mirror of my eye, I, I would like to think that a good person is, is being reflected back, a good colleague, um, you know, one who will, you know, who's always been there to support other folks who are either in trouble or folks who need support. Um, that, that's, you know, that's, that's what I think I'll, 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 I would like to see as my legacy. And Cecil, I've been in the room with you where other people have given you your flowers and who have said, thank you. It's because of you that I'm in my current position. Thank you. I met you along the way many years ago. How does that make you feel? Well, I mean, it, 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 makes, it doesn't swallow my head, <laughs> as we say in the curve. It doesn't give me a big head. It makes me think that, you know what? Good, it's a good. It's a good thing that these folks are, are, are in these roles. I mean, I mean, I often meet people and say, "Why, why, why haven't you been thinking about such and such and such? Why haven't you been thinking about a different role? Why haven't you been thinking about?" And many of them, when they actually say, "Well, it's talking about I love being a teacher," and you know, some of them who are now in, in leadership roles say, "You know, Cecil, that conversation was really helpful." Some of them have had difficult conversations with, with people, and, and and you know, there's been some tears. But later on, when I see them. They say, you know what, that conversation was, was a good conversation. Because they know it's coming from a good place. It's coming from a good heart. Because of the fact that, as I said, you know, look, we have 15,000, more than 15,000 employees in New York region. And we're not going to just, just get all new ones, right? So we need, to be able, we need to be able to work with those who we have and believe that they're capable of doing the work that is necessary to ensuring that indigenous kids, black kids, our data is not showing Latino kids, uh, are benefiting from the kind of work that we're supposed to be doing. And that work is student achievement and well-being. That is a big question, Mahuli. <laughs> and when I, I 
you know, and pondering what that means. It, it's very multi-layered and complex. Uh, when we think about what legacy means and how we define legacy um, in terms of my own personal legacy, but or what people see as my legacy or my legacy in education. I think for me, specific to education, similar to Cecil, I would want my legacy to be that they knew that Jarcy was committed to supporting student voice and valuing students and that she was committed uh, to fighting um, to ensure that that voice was supported and heard. And also I would want people to also think that I had a space or I had a chance to have a dialogue with her that shifted my mindset, whether it was through conflict, whether it was through a dialogue, whether it was through a meetup uh, in a school, a library, in the hallway, um, on the phone, that we had a dialogue that shifted their mindset, that shifted their mindset to think differently, to act differently, and that also gave a space for them to be able to share authentically how they were feeling at that sport, at that at that moment. I've been in spaces where people have challenged and said, I don't necessarily agree with you, Darcy, or what, what's happening, but I'm willing to hear you out. I'm willing to have that dialogue. And I think I would I would hope that people would say, um, you know, the conversations I had with her gave me the space to be able to think about my practice and who I was. And if it, if it really questioned if I was supporting students and if it encouraged um, me to do that, I would hope that one day I would hear that one of the students who I either worked with wanted to, to or, or has the opportunity to make a difference in their life or their shift in their life based on a conversation that we had. I think that that would be my legacy. And I think also to knowing um, as a student of York Region District School Board, it's kind of like a full circle moment to know that I, I was a student in the school board. I'll never forget the first black teacher who I saw, Debbie Smith in grade two at Mullican Mills Public School. And I remember I came home and I was like, mom, I don't even know what class it was. Actually, when I think about it now, I'm like, I'm not sure what kind of class they had me in. Anyways, that's a whole different story for another day. But I was very privileged to have many Black educators um, in my career um, as, as a student um, and also um, as an educator to work alongside with and many other educators as well, those who aren't Black as well. I've had amazing opportunities to connect with people. But I think of my trajectory um, you know, what I experienced, what my family did for me, um, but being in the school board and now being an educator, a principal in this role, uh, definitely I think it's full circle. So that would be my hope that maybe a little kid too in kindergarten uh, sees themselves um, when they get older having this full circle moment because um, of something either I did or said. If you could have dinner with someone dead or alive, who would that be? Well, for me, it would be Nelson Mandela. Uh, and the reason I chose Nelson Mandela is, despite the fact that he endured such tortures, a torturous time in prison, before he got to prison, he came out with, with love in his heart. Uh, he came out wanting to reconcile. He came out wanting to believe in people, uh, wanting to believe in, in even in those who, who tortured him while he was in prison. Um, you know, wanting to believe in their humanity. That, that's, I mean, so because of that, that kind of thinking, that's the person I would love to sit and pick his brain uh, while we have while we enjoy a meal. You know, I, I would have said Nelson Mandela, but I actually got to meet him, Cecil. Um, I'll never forget in grade eight, he was downtown and we were on a school trip and I ran and shook his hand. I'll never forget that. 
I think for me, I think it's a bit more personal. I think I would, I would want to have a talk with my grandma. I'd want to thank her and um, listen to the journey. But when she brought my dad here to Canada and uh, just knowing all the things that he experienced as a black man here um, and what he's experienced and what he's done. Um, but at the same time, thank her for, because of that legacy uh, where I am today. And um, yeah, that's where I'm sitting at in this moment. How do you respond to this statement? Stand in the truth of who you are, both of you. Well, I mean, I, I think just, you know, knowing that I need to be grounded in, in who I am as a black person of African heritage, one who I, I like to say, um, you know, I, I'm a triangular existence. I was imagined in the motherland, seasoned in the Azure land, and now made in maple syrup. That, that's, that's who I am, right? You know, that I'm a big, black, bald guy. That, that's that's Cecil, you know, um, in, in addition to being an educator, that's me, you know, that, 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 that's who I am. I'm very, very much grounded in, in terms of who I am. The truth of who I am is so many different parts. Afro-Latina, for those Hispanic people on the call, hola, see, <laughs> I can talk with you. I think um, being authentically who you are and who you are and not being ashamed of that, um, not being afraid of who you are not being afraid of your beliefs, who you stand for, who supports you. Um, I think standing in the truth of you are, of who you are, that's what that means. And it, it also means that, uh, that you don't waver uh, when the storms come, when people wanna question who you are, when people uh, are gonna say all things about you, uh, who are you and how do you stand and what grounds you to stand um, at the end of that. That's really the truth of who you are. What is one thing that you are thankful for today? I would say thankful for family. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a big that's a loaded question. Um, I'm thankful for life, and I'm thankful for family too. To you both, I'm thankful that you've taken the time to speak with me, and thank you for allowing the audience to get to know you a little better. Thanks thank for you, having thank us. You. <laughs>